morning. Well, welcome to you all. Good to see you. I'm glad one person is uh, happy to see me. Okay, who was here last Friday? What were we talking about? Yeah? Yeah? Rick out on generosity? Yeah? Wasn't that the... Was that last week we were talking about financial wounding? <laughs> Being rich. Okay, what else have we been talking about? Okay, so what keys were we talking about last Friday? Three keys? Finance, yes, 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 yes. And time. Finances, resources, and time. But we didn't have much time, so we didn't talk much about resources and time. So we'll briefly talk about resources and time before we move on to our third key. Okay, and our third key, in case I forget and we don't get there, uh, is... Uh, it's going to be favor, relationships, and influence. Okay? So anybody wants to hear that or we skip? And... Okay. Is anybody found this uh, little thing we've been doing any interesting at all? Okay. Can I do the talking? Or I can sit down and let you do the talking? Huh? The anointing tonight has got a limited expiry time. <laughs> it doesn't go past nine. <laughs> Okay, so we talked about woundedness, uh, experiences and things that we go through in life that give us a sort of hang-up attitude towards finances. Right? So they come little things that uh, give us uh, a very not happy feeling. So somebody they don't know came up with a, a sentence that we most of us are familiar with that it takes money to make what? So it takes money to make money. How true is that? Just a little bit. He says, okay. So Sean says, resources create resources. 
Finance create finance. It sounds so simple, but one of the ways we hold this key is to create resources and finance in our lifetime and try to multiply them. Remember how we feel about multiplying and accumulating? How unchristian it feels? Is anybody over that halo yet? Are we over it? Or is round it or over it? <laughs> All right, they're having a family discussion here. <laughs> Leave them to it. <laughs> okay, so he says many Christians, I don't know where you and I fit in there, but we can work it out. Many Christians only make enough to last their lifetime. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> mm. Okay, so many Christians only make enough to last their lifetime. So they are not thinking of risking investing, multiplying, and leaving a real inheritance. So that means the resources and the finances you accumulate, they are meant to last way past your lifetime. Because the life of a righteous man is summed up by the inheritance he leaves for generations way after he's gone. So when we live for ourselves, we can measure our resources by how much we need in our lifetime. But if we begin to expand life, into a godly perspective, we got to start thinking and planning and looking at our lives beyond our lifetime. How is that? So when God is thinking about blessing you, He's not looking at you, He's looking at your kids and your grandkids. Imagine if we all began building our lives on the success of our parents. Where would our lives be? Let him keep on. So somebody says, Trump is not that smart. He got $100 million from his parents. Well, why didn't you get yours from yours? Okay, so let's say 
He began his life with $100 million from his parents. Wouldn't be nice if we all had parents that gave us a million dollars, $100 million to start life. That would be pretty cool, wouldn't it? But it's not about the $100 million. It's about what foundation are we setting for the future generation, for those that are building and that make lives after us. So, so some of this comes from uh, pretty much what we covered uh, last week, bad theology. Bad theology. Every Christian generation thinks it's the last generation. And this is, I've talked about this. If you grew up, some of you in here, during the days of the Jesus people, anybody that got saved in the Jesus people? You hippies? And remember how you all felt that uh, Jesus... <laughs> Oh dear. <laughs> okay. You know, that ancient and that thought we had when we gave our lives to the Lord during the Jesus movement, we were so convinced, and the conviction we lived on, it was with that incredible eminence of his return. That he was going to come. So we prayed. We fasted. We didn't even enroll to go to university. Because it was a waste of time. Jesus was coming soon. And we withdrew from a lot of elements of society and life. We didn't participate in a lot of things. Because we knew, we felt Jesus was coming very soon. And what happened is, from every area of society we withdrew from, some other people rose up and filled the vacuum. Some other people rose up and became school teachers. They rose up and they became ministers of education. And many years later, we wonder why there is safe school stuff and all those things the kids are learning at school now. That sometimes every kid can have two mummies or can have two daddies, and it's okay. You see, that's what happens when you step out of society. That's what happens when we step out of any role in community. Other elements fill up the vacuum. So thank God that we're coming to a place of realizing that as the church we were meant to take leadership over every sphere of influence in our society. Because whichever sphere that we're not influencing, other elements will rise up and take over and control. Because the rest of us, we withdrew 
from public service and public life. The funny thing is, the Bible says, when the righteous rule, what happens? People prosper. But the righteous felt they got to go to a Bible meeting and not get involved in uh, civic uh, responsibilities. Other people stood up and rude and they made blows that we're all crying about. So I guess more than money, one of the bigger elements we're talking about is okay, finance resources and uh, our time. How much of our time are we willing to give to our society, to our community, and to our generation in order to safeguard the future? of many generations to come. You will be stretched to look in almost every aspect of life and find a committed Christian with the skills to match. Did I, did I speak African or you understood that? Let's say I want to find uh, a movie production company. How many talented Christians am I going to find to help do that? How many non-Christian people am I going to find to do that? Who does of them? So it doesn't matter which area you pick, you are likely not to find sufficient number of Christians that are willing to engage and participate. That's because we withdrew from society and community. Hey, sweetness. Nicole, you want to get in there? All right, stay with me. That's a casting part. Come on. Good on there? That's good. Whatever comes out is good. Okay, so say this. This comes from some bad theology that every Christian generation thinks it's the last. So we don't live for our children's children. It's time to live as though we will forever be here, but hope that Jesus will return tomorrow. Okay, so live your life like you'll be here for the next hundred years but with the hope that Jesus will be here tomorrow. So as we live, as we get on through life, investing in our children's children. When you look at um, the thing in America with Trump and all them ones, 
It's amazing to see how much Christians fought about whether to support Trump or not. I don't know which fence, part of the fence you've been on to. And uh, even on uh, the heroes and the champions of the faith, they were divided between the Trumpelians and the non-Trumpelians. <laughs> so, now the thing is, people would ask, why would uh, moral Christian leaders support Trump with the things he said about everybody? So if you live for now, you're going to choose somebody who's sensible and balanced and is going to say things that don't offend people. Okay? But 20 plus percent of Christians that voted for him, their reasoning was the biggest thing for them is the replacement of the judge, the Supreme Court judge that is going to be chosen. So they are looking at who of these candidates can choose a judge that would uh, represent and stand for the morals I believe in. Because whichever judge is picked, that nomination is a lifetime nomination. Okay? So if somebody picks a judge, if the judge is in his 40s like me, he can be in that job for the next 50, 60, 40, 60 years. So if Trump is so bad, but he would pick that judge and would endure him for eight years, but the judges he pick will be there for 50 years, I'm voting for Trump. So for many, it was a choice and decision made with generations to come. And not just for the immediate future or for the present time. And the more I thought about that, I said, actually... It makes sense. Because it doesn't matter how much of a stuff up Trump turns up to be, provided he makes those choices they're looking for, what he's going to do will far outstrip any mistake Trump will ever make. Which is very funny, because uh, he initially chose 21 judges where he's going to choose the Supreme Court uh, judge. And all the 21 picks were all judges that were picked by George Bush. Which is two pre one president ago. So even while the guy is where long gone, the foundation he set still lives on. 
So how can we begin to order and arrange our lives in our everyday choices and decisions that lays a platform for our children's children? So part of it is let's hope Jesus will come tomorrow but let's live like there is no tomorrow in the way we lay the foundations and the way we strategically begin to think about the future. Because when you look at, the, for example, the gay and lesbian and whatever movement, they have been very methodical, strategical in how they've been aligning themselves for the last 20 years. That they are a very small minority but they scream like they are the whole planet. It is because they have been very strategical in where they position themselves. That they end up being the minister of education. Okay? So it says this will create an incentive both ways to be faithful with the resources God has given us for this world and for Jesus. Yeah, this will be probably an annoying statement. It's not how much money we make, but how much money you keep. So mostly we focus on the, the amount of money we make. But the amount of money we make is never an issue. It's the amount of money that we keep. How hard it works for you and how many generations you keep it for. How do you measure wealth? We were doing this in Zambia when we had a, a business class. So let's imagine I earn a million dollars a month. Oh, it's too much. A million dollars a year. All right? Feeling good? Let's say I earn, I make a million dollars a year. Are we there? And it costs my family $1.2 million to live a year. Okay? And back over here makes a hundred thousand dollars a year. And in his hundred thousand dollars a year, he's got uh, a little boat and a little thing that make that hundred thousand dollars a year. 
and his family lives on $80,000 a year. Who's rich? Who's wealthy? How can he be wealthy? He only makes 100. I make 1.2, 1.1 So my life every year is negative 200,000. And his life every year is plus 20,000. So let's say he's retired and he stopped working. And that little income of his, he's bought, keeps on making money. How much is he keeping for the next generation? All of it. So this guy is saying how much, it's about how many generations we keep it for. So, those of us that were the Jesus people, and then we decided that Jesus is not coming, what did we do? We see them, uh, they are called grey nomads, most of them on the roads, with a caravan with a very nice statement on it. Spending my kids, in, my children's inheritance. Isn't that a terrible statement to live by in the light of what we are talking about? So Robert Kiyosaki says the world around the world around the world around is us. I think there's a misspelling in this book. Yeah, the world around us is waiting for people who have the resources and connection to finance growth. Producing resources that solve society's huge problems or using your finances to build huge future for cities is how we will disciple the nation. Uh, the world around us is waiting for people who have the resources and connections to finance growth. Producing the resources that solve society's huge problem or using your finances to build huge future for cities. This is how we will disciple the nations. So he said, uh, he asked a friend of his, a city mayor, what he needed from the Christian community. And the mayor said, we are grateful for community service, but we spend a lot of money and time on event planning. We really need people who can create community, who can be a resource rather than a requester of it. Okay, that is the mayor of a town saying, 
A lot of people are coming asking for stuff from the council, from the city. But what we're looking for is people that can make resources available other than just taking. We need people who the city can look up to in business, in education, and media. People who share their lives, resources, and time to make this city great. If we had that, we would be the greatest city on earth. So put in our context, what does that mean? That if you and I can be people that the community can look up to in business, education, and media, if we can be people that will share their lives and resources and uh, share our time this will be the greatest community on earth. So it is about coming to a place where you and I come to a place of choosing to be a solution, to be an answer, to be, <clears throat> to be an alternative. How would it be if wherever you and I rocked up at, people would say, thank God he's here. Because they know you bring solutions. They know you bring answers. They know you are the answer to prayer. You are the answer to prayer. So it talks about the LA where they are, the culture of fathering and mothering the world around us. Okay, so the thing about mothering or being a parent, it costs you something. Right? So if we're going to choose to be mothers and fathers to the world around us, it would require us to sacrifice on behalf of others. John says, I live in Los Angeles. It is a city that everybody comes to to take from. Everyone wants something from the city. If you are an entertainer, you want to become famous. If you are a student, you want the best school. If you're a businessman, you want a piece of the pie. This gets multiplied by Christians more than helped by them. We also have an entitlement attitude when coming into many things. Even the American dream can be built on entitlement. The idea that we work hard that if we work hard enough we deserve a great life we are not supposed to be only looking out for ourselves though to take 
to take, sorry. We are also to love our neighbors as ourselves, to give. This is the difference between being in a family as a son or as a father. Yeah. It's talking about if we are in a family, like we've been talking about building a family and a community as the people that are a family. You can be in a family as a son or you can be in a family as a father. When we are in a family as a son, we feel entitled to receive, to be given, to be provided for, and for people to give to us. But if we are in a family as a father, we feel the duty and demand it to extend, reach out, give, and bless. How is that? So when we're in this community of family, have we just been sons? Have we just been daughters? Or are we being or growing up at least towards that goal of being fathers and mothers where we can have a sense of duty to reach out and bless and pour out of who we are. He says, you remember going to the Mayor of Hollywood commencement speech and during it, he signed a piece of paper saying, I may be mayor of this great city of Hollywood only once in my lifetime, but I am signing an adoption paper with this city. And I, I will be a father here for as long as I live. I will love it like my own. He said, this had a profound impact on my heart because if you adopt your city, if you adopt your city, your industry and your people group as though they are yours, then you will love them as you love yourself. You will make a huge sacrifice and want to use your resources to build their greatness. Is that all too much? If you take up this place, even this particular barn as if it was yours, we will never have to tell anybody to make a roster to clean it. So when you're talking about uh, stewardship and accountability and ownership maybe if the city is too big let's narrow it down to this address then it will never have to be one person's burden to make sure that everything is working, the lights are on and this and that how about that the world is looking for fathers and mothers. What is the world looking for? Okay? Will the world find a father and a mother in you? Or they will keep finding the third twice removed cousin? 
right? <laughs> the world is looking for fathers and mothers, not just believers. The world around us is for us to mentor them by example, not just doctrine. We need to be moral. We need to model giving and generosity by giving our by giving to our families. And in doing so, we become inspirational fathers and mothers to the world around us. Okay? That's about resources. So the question would be, I don't have money. I don't have resources. I've got nothing to give. What about your time? We can incredibly value people by the time we give to them. How much time... How much money does it take? So it's saying, even before you have wealth or great natural resources like properties or equipment the world needs, you have, what do you have? Time. It is in all essence the most important commodity. You can value the poorest and the richest in society with time if they want some of your time. Here's an interesting thought. God shows one of his highest values towards us with time. Okay? Where is God? He is omniwat, present, and he is eternal. But he chooses to manifest himself in our own timeline. So God who can exist in all his omnipotence and uh, eternity but chooses to step out and come in your timeline. And that's just how he shows his incredible value and love that he has for us. Gives it an example. Let's say if where we are. The Pope decided to come and help at the soup kitchen and cook soup for the poor. How highly valued do the poor man that eats that soup feel? So by our willingness to sit down and spend time with people, it speaks volume of how much we value them. 
So we can begin to express and show value to one another by just spending time with each other. So I say time is so precious that the more successful a person is, the last time they have to do everything else. Okay, let's keep that. Oh, my anointing is only left for two minutes. So we are not getting to the third key today. So, the key thing in appreciating and valuing other people with your time, it is understanding your own value. And probably in the brokenness that a lot of us are coming from, it's something that we do not know how to do very well. Value. I've always found it more entertaining in Africa where every girl has a bride price. No free girls like here. Over there we pay for girls. A lot of cows. So there's tribes where a girl mentions her own bride price. And that is the quickest way to see how much value a young woman places on herself. And you get to see how much value your parents place on you by how much they charge the boy. I like your daughter. Which one? That one? Oh, you can just have that one for, <laughs> for two chickens. two chickens that one so if you had an opportunity to mention your own bride price how much cows would you charge how many chickens or you just give yourself for free okay so closing quickly so if you don't value your time Listening. These are keys to heavenly resources here. If you don't value your time, neither will others. And this is where Father, Dad here, Papa Womna will say to you, this goes in your early dad. Stop giving away your time and talents. Value what you know and start charging for it. Hey. 
Did you all get that? That if you don't value your time, what will happen if you don't value your time? Neither will others. Stop giving away your time and talents and value what you know and start charging for it. Okay, what did we talk about first? Being fathers and sons. So that comes in a balance. So this guy says, when you know how to value yourself and your time, people will feel greatly blessed to be prized by your time. If you know how much I feel about my time, and I choose to come and hang out with you, you'll feel, well, the fortunes are looking on us today. He's come to visit. <laughs> okay, so here's a little story. I'll finish with this story. It says, I remember two fine artists in our church who painted pictures during worship. We've been to churches where people paint stuff during worship. Yeah, so the church had two of them. Ah. One was a hobbyist trying to turn it into a professional. <laughs> well, the other teaches art classes and was an amazing had a, has an amazing reputation as an artist. One Sunday, each one sold a painting. I went to two of the houses that held those paintings that week. Okay. Two artists saw the painting, and the pastor visited both homes who bought a painting for, from these two different uh, artists. The first one I went to was a new home of the hobbyist painter's picture. The artwork was sitting on the kitchen, leaning against the counter, close to the trash. I asked them if it was a hobbyist picture and the new owner of the painting confirmed it was. She was a woman who had never bought a painting before. Hey people, listen here. Thank you very much. Says uh, she was a woman who had never bought a painting before so she didn't know how to value it. When she went when she went to the artist and asked how much it would cost to buy, the artist was afraid of her own value of her art, her time, and the money that went into the painting. So she said, Whatever you feel comfortable paying me. Okay, how much is the artwork? Whatever you feel comfortable paying me. The woman gave her $25 and walked away with the painting excited. But when she got it home, she didn't really see anywhere to hang it. I saw Lots of empty walls that would be good 
that would look good on. But it hadn't turned into a novelty item. But it had turned into a novelty item to her and she wasn't even sure if she wanted to keep it. I knew that the supplies the painter had used cost close to $75 because it was a mixed media piece. The second house I went held the painting of the successful painter which was already in the main feature which was already the main feature in their dining room. I asked about it and the purchaser says I have never bought a painting before but I was in love with this one. I asked the painter Janet how much it was and she said $2,000. I was shocked because I didn't know how much art normally costs. I wanted it still and I told her that uh, I couldn't afford that much. She prayed about it and offered it to me for $750. Can you believe it? I have a $2,000 Peace sitting in my house for seven fifty. What a bargain! Two thousand dollar painting. I knew what I was seeing in two houses was the difference of a mindset. Janet knew her college. Her experience, her training, her thousands of pictures meant she could value her artwork at a certain price. And she had even gotten appraisals of her work to prove it. The other artist had a master's, okay, the $25 one, had a master's degree in fine art. Hundreds of painting and had even one had even done one gallery shows, but she was afraid of her own ability and was too insecure to have it appraised. If we don't value ourselves, then the people around us will not know how to value us either unless they are experts be your own expert and help the world relate to you so when you have time to give or consult it will be highly valued I know one counselor counseling I know one counselor who charges $400 an hour. But when she takes on an occasional client at $200 discount, he values him 10 times much because he knows the counselor normally costs $400 an hour. Creating incentive by knowing what you are worth helps the world around you respect you and value you. 
How about that? And the time is 9.10. So, we've nicely finished the second key. So, we'll call it uh, key 2B. And next Friday, we'll talk about the third key. Like we said, which is favor, relationship, and influence. My favorite. Yep. Say that so you can record it wherever it's recorded. Okay, during the worship, you know, where we're sort of really the drums are going and the, and the music was going, I, I just felt I could see um, in the distance, it's like um, I was in a, um, like Israel, I suppose, in the, you know, the old days, and I could see a camel train coming. And I felt the Lord say, the camel trains are coming. And it's like um, the Queen at Sheba came with the camels laden with uh, resources. And, um, and so I, I looked at this camel train and I knew that it was laden with resources for us. You know, it was like, uh, it was for us. And he was sending those, that, that, the uh, resources to us. And, and as I'm listening to, to Charles tonight, I can see that, um, um, and the other thing what, he, what I really felt the Lord say was ask. All right? So, so when I hear what, what, what he's saying here tonight is, is that um, God has got abundance of resources for us. Every single one of us, whether we're retired or not, or whether we've got money or whether we're young, children, whatever, there's an abundance of resources. And he wants us, he wants us to ask him for it. Because he's got plenty. So we need to ask and, and put these things into practice because God wants to, um, us to co- cooperate with him, I guess. And, um, and so each of us have got something, either whether it's time or whether it's um, you know, a, a skill or a talent or whatever it is. Um, and, and he's wanting us to ask him, Lord, give me the resources that I need. Will you give me... Uh, an idea because I want to do this and I want to be wealthy because that's what God wants for every one of us to be wealthy and um, and, and he can do it and um, and you know year of jubilee comes into mind as well this year you know with the returning of what's been lost but anyhow I, I just thought I'd just share it now because I didn't want I, I was in two minds before but now I've heard this I think well there you go there's the, tr- the camel train is coming and it was like it's coming all right so it's, it's probably not here yet but but then there was the ask and you will receive that your joy will be full Ask. So if when I was standing, just respond in whichever way. Some of us may need to repent for not valuing ourselves as we should be. Father, I thank you that we are your sons and daughters. We are your people that are called by your name. Thank you, Lord, that you are so committed to us. And you just never give up to us, on us. Lord, I just want to rebuke and just come against a uh, uh, poverty spirit. In the name of Jesus, I bind the spirit of poverty. And uh, cast the spirit of poverty 
and every mindset that just uh, goes against what God has called us to be and to walk into, we just uh, remove that. Lord, I just ask that you shine your light in our hearts and in our minds and just bring revelation of truth, of the fullness that you have for us as a community and as a nation in the name of Jesus. Lord, I just ask that you remove the weeds uh, that choke up the growth and the increase of the fruit in our finances, in our health, in our resources, in our wealth, in the name of Jesus. Father, you just kick out the spirit of poverty and kick out every mindset that is opposed uh, to us prospering and moving into the riches and the fullness that you have for us. And Lord, I just ask that you even unwind the every snakes and pythons that have uh, kept the people in poverty and choking the life out of your people in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you all guys. May you prosper, increase and multiply in everything you lay your